You are now listening to the May 15th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, a sermon, and prayers after God's own heart. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministry listeners. This is Brian Winston with Story of Kings. Today, we're going to share the story of Amon, the 15th king of Judah, and the story of Josiah, the 16th king of Judah. Amon's accounts are written in 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 19 to 26, and 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 11 to 25. The details of Josiah's faith in his reformation appear in 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 1 to chapter 23 verse 30 and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. Amon was the son of Manasseh and became king when he was 22 years old and reigned over Judah for two years. The Bible does not record much about Amon. The Bible says that Amon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 22 and 23. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done, and Amon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, but Amon multiplied guilt. As we shared last time, Amon's father Manasseh was the evilest king in Judah. He committed all the evil offenses of his ancestors and incited God to become angry. However, he repented and turned back to God when God made him see the ultimate judgment. By doing so, he experienced God's grace and forgiveness. After that, Manasseh removed all the idols and the altars that had been built for those idols and ordered all the people of Judah to serve God only, starting with himself. But unlike Manasseh, his son Amon did not repent and turn back to God. He continued to engage in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He even brought back the idols that his father Manasseh removed and worshipped them and made sacrifice to them. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 22, that he forsook the Lord God and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Amon continued to engage in evil deeds and was eventually murdered by his servants who conspired against him. That was only after two years in power. Then the people rose up and killed the conspirators. They made Josiah, son of Amon, the next king. Josiah became the 16th king of Judah, at the tender age of eight. The Bible assesses that Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The Bible tells us that in the eighth year of his reign, or when he was 16, he began seeking the God of his forefather David. Four years later, when he turned 20, 
he began in earnest reformation of Judah. Josiah started with Judah and Jerusalem to purge all offensive places and artifacts associated with idol worshiping. He removed the high places that were left over from the time of his grandfather, Manasseh. Watching their king doing the removal of idols, the people also began tearing down the altars of Baal. Josiah tore up the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images into pieces and ground them to powder, which he then scattered on the graves of the priest who gave sacrifice to idols. He desecrated the idol-worshipping places by burning the bones of those priests on the altars. Josiah did not stop there. He went beyond Judah and Jerusalem. His reformation reached the major cities of Israel, Manasseh, Ephraim, the southernmost city of Simeon, and the northernmost city of Naphtali. He tore down the altars of pagan gods and destroyed all the idols. Second Chronicles records that it was the 18th year of his reign when Josiah was 26 years old when he finished the work of sanctifying the land of Judah in the house of God. After he was done purging idols and idol worshiping from the land of Judah in the house of God, Josiah started repairing the house of God. Josiah instructed the Levites to give the money necessary to repair the house of God from what had been collected from all the people of Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The money was to be given to the workmen who were overseeing the repairs to the house of God. They would then hire the carpenters and builders who would faithfully work on repairing the house of God. While making repairs in the house of God, Hilkiah the high priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan the scribe who subsequently notified Josiah about the finding. He then read it in the presence of the king. When Josiah heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes and mourned. In Judean culture, tearing of the clothes meant realizing one sin and showing deep repentance. It also expressed inexpressible sorrow or fury. After hearing God's word, Josiah became aware of his sin and knew that God's wrath would not be too far off. Therefore, he mourned and tore his clothes. Josiah immediately sent Hilkiah, the high priest, and five other servants to a prophet and ordered them to inquire of God concerning the words from the book of the law. The five servants went to see the prophetess Huldah with Josiah's order. She inquired of God. Let's read verses 24 to 28 from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book, which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. 
because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. So your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. His servants came back and delivered these words to Josiah. God basically told Josiah the inevitability of the demise of Judah because its sins were too deep. Yet God blessed Josiah that his eyes will be spared of seeing the last days of Judah. So how do you think Josiah reacted when he heard the message from God? This concludes today's episode. We'll continue on with the story of Kings next time. Have a blessed week.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is Beauty and Brokenness, Sexuality, Part 1. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So, Let's dive into God's word, word, which we're going to see so good. You know, we're tempted to think that we're living in unique days with unique challenges regarding sexuality, but we only think that way because we don't realize what was happening in Corinth 2,000 years ago in the first century when the book of 1 Corinthians was written. This city was known for rampant sexual immorality and confusion and deception. They had a temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, where every single night, a thousand temple prostitutes would come down into the city to work their trade. Corinth was a culture where anything goes. Indulge your body however you desire. So God speaks into that situation in a way that is so relevant to our situation. And God gives us one of the most comprehensive passages in the Bible about our bodies and sexuality. So let's listen to what God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, and, but, but for the Lord, and also the Lord for the body. Now, I want to pause there. These are the first two times in this passage that we see a reference to the body. But I want us to start counting. So maybe you circle in your Bible, make a note every time you see the body mentions. There's two here. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So there's two. Let's keep reading. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you're counting, that's eight times. This passage mentions our bodies, which is really significant because there's a lot of different messages that we get from a lot of different sources in this world about our bodies, how we're to view them or use them. And amidst all these messages and ideas in the world, we desperately need to hear what God says about our bodies in his word. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write down these three core essential foundational truths about our bodies according to God. This is what God is telling us about our bodies. Here's the first truth. Number one, your body was created by God for his glory and for your earthly and eternal good. Every word there matters, so let this soak in. Your body, just think about your body right where you are sitting right now was created by God for his glory and for your earthly and eternal good. So let's think about all all that we're saying here in this truth. First, your body was created by God. So now let's go back to verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 6 because it's in many ways the foundational verse in this passage. So in verse 13, we see a phrase that was apparently common in that day. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, food was made for the stomach. The stomach was made for food. And when people use this phrase in Corinth, the implication was the body was made for sexual activity and sexual activity was made for the body. But God is saying, no, no, the body is made for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. What a statement. So I want you to think about this. On both sides, what God is saying here. First, for, for 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to say, the body is for the Lord. It's for God. Like that right there is a very different starting point than every other message we hear in this world and the way that we are all prone to think. This is very, very different. We are so driven today by what Whatever can bring our bodies the most pleasure, what can we see, touch, do, eat, listen to, engage in, we are drowning in a culture that shouts at every turn, please your body however you want. And the Bible is saying at every turn, please God in all that you do. Please yourself however you want or please God in all that you do. Please yourself or please God. This is the fundamental question. This question is at the root of every other question we will ask in the series. Every single issue we'll consider in the series. The fundamental starting place is asking, what's our ultimate aim? Think about it. Are we going to live for self-gratification in our bodies? Or are we going to live for God glorification in our bodies? That's the fundamental question. What's going to drive us? Self-gratification or God glorification? Because God is saying right here, your body is not ultimately for you. 
Your body is ultimately for me. Now, follow this. Don't miss this, because this is the next part of this phrase. It's so awesome where God says, your body's for me, and I am for your body. God says, I, the Lord, am for your body. So the Bible's not saying here, your body is for God, so just do what he says, make your body miserable, but it doesn't matter because it's not about you, it's all about him. No, the Bible is saying, yes, your body is for God, and here's the good news, God is for your body. God is for your body. We're talking about the God, think about it, who created your body in the first place. So now we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible where we realize God is the one who came up with the concept of our bodies in the beginning. And he designed them. So follow this. God designed our bodies in a way that would bring us pleasure. Think about it. God created us with eyes. He didn't have to, but he did. He created us with eyes so that we might see, behold, beauty. God created us with ears that we might hear music. He made us with tastes that we might enjoy flavors. God created us with skin that we might experience touch. He made us with faculties that enable us to communicate with one another. We might have relationship with each other unlike anything else in creation. And we could go on and on and on, but just feel this. God fearfully and wonderfully formed your body so that you might experience pleasure with your body. God designed it that way for you. Your body has been created, formed, fashioned by God himself in his image, Genesis 1.27 says, for his glory and for your good on this earth. This is so important to realize. God is not against your body. God is not even indifferent towards your body, which is really important because a lot of these Christians in Corinth thought, just like many of us are tempted to think today, well, God cares about my spiritual life, but he doesn't really care about my physical life. So they compartmentalized. It's like we compartmentalize and separate our spiritual life over here from our physical life over there. The Bible's saying, no, that's impossible because God is the one who designed your physical life, your body, for your good on this earth right now. I want to urge you to believe this from the start. The reason I say these truths are so foundational is because if you don't believe this, that God is for your body, then you will inevitably buy into all kinds of lies from the adversary about your body. You will question if God knew what he was doing when he made you this way or that way. With this disability, with that desire, you will question if God knew what he was doing when he made you as a male or a female. You'll question why God would say, don't do this with your body. And in the process, you will justify going against what God has said. 
Why? Because at the root, we are all prone to forget that God is for us, not against us. You want to know how much he's for you? Specifically for your body? Look at verse 14. God has made an eternal investment in your body. Verse 14 says, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and will also raise us up by his power. So this is talking about God raising Jesus' body from the dead and God raising up our bodies from the dead. So that's what I mean when I say in this first truth, your body was created by God for his glory and for your earthly and eternal good. So this is what we're talking about now, this last part, not just for his glory, not just for your earthly good, but for your eternal good. This is revolutionary. God doesn't just love you enough to save your soul from sin. God loves you so much that he wants to redeem your body for eternity. To raise up, restore your body forever. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. So turn over there in your Bible real quick. This is the, we're going to get to this more in depth in a, a few weeks after this series when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the whole argument of the Corinthian Christians was, well, we'll just live to fulfill our bodily pleasures in this life, which is temporary. Then our souls will go on eternal life and we'll have the best of both worlds. Does that sound familiar? How common is that? Even in the church today. We've created a whole version of Christianity where we see our souls as sealed in heaven. We go on living for the temporary pleasures of our bodies however we want on this earth. And we're okay with it as long as we'll still get to heaven. But that's not Christianity. That goes totally against the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's saying, listen, I'm laying my body down. He says, I die every day. And I'm missing out on a lot in this world because I believe I trust that God is for me, and I know that one day he's going to raise up this body just like he did with Jesus. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you follow that? God and his power raised the body of Jesus from a tomb, and one day he's going to raise the bodies of all who trust in Jesus from the grave through that same power. God is worthy of trust with our bodies. The problem, though, is we have not believed this. We have all said, God, we know better than you how to use our bodies, which leads to this second truth. In this broken world, we all have broken bodies. In this broken world, we all have broken bodies. Now, before I show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to remind you of this truth from the beginning of the Bible also. You think 
Think about it. First sin in the world. Genesis chapter 3 started with man and woman using their bodies outside of God's good design for their bodies. God had said, do not what from a particular tree? Do not eat. Do not satisfy the physical craving of your body in this way. Oh, this is so significant. Please pay close attention here. God had created them with a physical desire for food, which we've talked about is good. It's part of God's good design for our bodies. However, that physical desire could lead them to fulfill that desire outside of God's design, which was not good. So God tells them, here's a way, a good way to fulfill your physical desires. Eat from and enjoy fruit from all these trees. And here is a harmful way over here to fulfill your physical desires. So don't eat from that tree. And don't miss this. From the very beginning of the Bible, for sin even entered the world, God had given man and woman physical desires that were intended to be fulfilled in certain ways. Let me say that one more time. Don't miss it. Before sin even entered the world, God had given people physical desires that were intended to be fulfilled in certain ways and not fulfilled in other ways. And what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is man and woman decide to fulfill those desires in ways that are contrary to God's word, contrary to God's good design. And the result was brokenness. Brokenness between man and woman and their relationship with God. Brokenness between man and woman and their relationship with each other. Brokenness between man and woman and the world around them in ways that would not just affect them, but every single person who would come after them, including you and me. We all live in a world that has been broken by sin. And this brokenness affects all of us in all kinds of ways and not all in the same ways. Let me just list some of the ways our bodies are broken in this world. Fundamentally, we live in a world of weakness and even disability in our bodies. Many people whose bodies don't function the way they should in different ways and every person whose body will one day wear out. Now, let's take this picture of brokenness generally a step deeper in light of sexuality in 1 Corinthians 6. Some of us have physical desires for the opposite sex that lead us to think thoughts about others, have desires for others, or do things with others that are not pleasing to God according to his word. Some of us have physical desires for the same sex that lead us to think, desire, or do things that are not pleasing to God according to his word. Some of us have questions about the way God made us sexually to the point where we sometimes feel like we don't fit or belong in our physical bodies. Some of our bodies have significant struggles, even when it comes to sexual disability or infertility or 
abnormalities or cancers. And amidst all of this, all of us, all of us, all of us are prone to fulfill physical desires we have in ways that are contrary to God's word. Bodily sin controls so quickly which leads to this next reality. Bodily sin devastates painfully. This is what verses 16 and 17 are all about. The Bible's specifically saying that sexual immorality, when you get to verse 18, that we're to flee from, unites you with another person that affects all of who you are in a way that's different even from other sin. Verse 18, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. So there's a comparison here going, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The Bible is saying here, don't underestimate the effect of bodily sin, particularly sexual sin. It destroys lives, breaks marriages, shatters homes and kids, causes heartache and hurt and pain. It leads to all sorts of other sin, lying, Stealing, cheating, bitterness, hatred, slander, gossip, unforgiveness, even murder. Think David in the Old Testament, who in a moment of physical desire sinned against Bathsheba in a way that eventually led to the murder of Uriah, the death of a baby, and a sword that would never depart from David's house. David's life and the lives of so many others were devastated as a result of one moment. Bodily sin devastates painfully, and ultimately, bodily sin condemns eternally. You look back up in verses 9 and 10 in 1 Corinthians 6. What is God saying here? Like, listen closely. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, bodily sin is addressed here in many different ways, but don't miss the language pertaining to all of these ways. Those who sin, who go outside of God's good design for our bodies, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says it twice. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And feel this. How we use our bodies on earth affects our lives for eternity. So you put all this together, and this is not a good picture of our bodies. I started out good. I like a a picture of clay in a potter's hands. You and I created, formed, fashioned by God himself in his image, fearfully, wonderfully, beautifully made. All of us, all of us without exception. And yet, all of us have chosen to sin against God with our bodies. Many of us have been sinned against in our bodies. Whether it's sin we've committed or sin that's been committed against us, we have seen all these effects we just saw. We have seen how bodily sin harms inevitably. 
and in many cases controls so quickly and devastates painfully and ultimately condemns eternally. That which is beautiful, beautifully designed by God, this is the problem with all of our bodies. Like the picture is clear and it's really the problem with clay because as beautiful as clay is, it breaks. And this is the picture of every one of our lives in this broken world. All of us, without exception, have broken bodies. The evidences of which are scattered all over our lives. I think about it. It's pain and hurt that seems like it won't ever go away in some of our lives. It's guilt from the past that we can't ever seem to shake. Maybe it's struggles in the present that we can't ever seem to escape. It's questions about why do I go back to this temptation over and over and over and over again? Or maybe it's confusion about why God would even allow me to have this desire or why God won't take this desire away in ways that sometimes we feel like nobody else understands. Or maybe it's the constant battle with unfulfilled desire. So many different ways. It's broken hearts. It's broken relationships. Broken marriages. Ultimately, it's broken bodies. And this is all of our reality in this broken world. So the question is, is there any hope for people with broken bodies in a broken world. And the good news I have for you today is there is. Truth number three. Write it down. Soak it in. Jesus gave his body to make your body new. Jesus gave his body to make your body new. I want you to hear straight from God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Hear these words from God. Such were some of you. You were this. But, so something happened. Something has changed. But you were washed. Jesus takes that which is dirty and he makes it clean. You say, well, what's so special about Jesus? What makes him the only one who can make my body new? I can't just figure this out on my own or go this route or that route. No, look down in verse 19. Here's what makes Jesus uniquely able to make your body new. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Here's why. Here's why Jesus is your only hope for a broken body made new. And this is the heart and core of the Bible. The heart and core of the Bible is that God himself has come to this broken world in a body. In the body of Jesus, God in the flesh, God in a body. And Jesus, God in a body, lived perfectly among us, never once sinning in his body. And as a result, never, ever deserving to experience the penalty of sin, bodily, physical death. Yet he chose to die on a cross. Why? To pay the price for the sins of everybody who trusts in him. He paid the price for sin on a cross. Then he physically rose from the dead in victory over sin. His body walking around alive so that anybody who trusts in Jesus will be forgiven of all your sin and filled with his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God living in you so you might now live in the power of His Spirit. And for all who are thinking, what do I do with these desires in my body that still remain? Is this just a life of unfulfilled longing? Just keep coming back next week and the next week. We're going to see how Jesus came to give you life to the full by the power of His Spirit in you. Knowing that one day, one day when your body wears out and dies, you will ultimately live with a fully redeemed, fully restored, completely new body that is free from all sin and free from all suffering, free from all unholy desire, free to experience the full pleasure that God has designed your body for the next 10 trillion years and beyond. Hi urge you today, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, today you can be washed and sanctified and justified before God by Him through faith in Jesus. And for all who have put your trust in Jesus, I want to remind you today in this broken world with our broken bodies, Jesus has bought your body on a cross. He has filled your body with his Holy Spirit. Jesus is right now in your body and he is committed to making you new. He is committed to bringing healing amidst your hurt. He's committed to bringing victory in your struggles. 
In this broken world, Jesus loves you and he is committed to giving you everything you need to experience earthly and eternal good as you glorify God in your body. If only you will keep trusting in him, looking to him, leaning on him, believing that he is making and will make your body new. I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes just to focus between you and God right now. And this kind of beauty that we just talked about in our bodies is only possible for men, women, and students who trust in Jesus. First, for salvation from your sin and just reconcile you to relationship with God. So if if you have never put your faith in Jesus, then today, right now, I want to invite you just to say to God, God, today I trust you with my life, including my body. I confess that I have sinned against you. I've experienced the effects of sin in this world. Today, I believe that Jesus died on a cross to save me from sin. He rose from the dead in victory over sin. And today, I trust him as the Savior and Lord of my life. I ask you, make me new. Wash me, sanctify me, justify me in the name of Jesus. And you pray that to God. He will do it. By faith, he will do it. Right now, in this moment, he does it for all who trust in him. And then for all who have trusted in him, can I just invite you to pray in your heart? Just say in a fresh way today, God, I trust you with my body. Just say this in your heart to God. Just, God, I trust you with my body. I trust your word more than I trust this world. Say to God, I trust your word more than I trust myself. Where I've sinned in my body, I ask you to forgive me and I receive your forgiveness. I receive this reality of being washed clean. Where I've been sinned against in my body, I ask you to heal me. Please heal me, oh God. And ultimately, just pray, God, I ask you to help me glorify you with my body on this earth. Help me to glorify you with my body on this earth as I wait for you to make my body completely new in eternity. Oh God, we look forward to that day. We, we are so thankful for this promise that these struggles on this earth will one day give way to ultimate victory. So we pray you'd help us to be made new more and more and more every day. Now, use our time and your word over these coming weeks, we pray, to make us new and to lead many others to experience your love for them in their bodies. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.
You are now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. You can download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries by visiting the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Android or iPhone. Just search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602-866-8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. The following program is called Prayers After God's Own Heart. Hello everyone, it's Terry from Prayers After God's Own Heart. Last week, from Prayers After God's Own Heart, we looked into Nehemiah's prayer. On behalf of his people, Nehemiah confessed their sin and prayed for God's compassion upon his nation and people. Nehemiah's prayer was very inspiring. Truthfully, when I reflect upon my own prayer life, I have eagerly prayed for my problems and my family's problems, but I hardly ever prayed for the nation and society on my own. At times, there was an opportunity to pray for the nation and people. I just prayed as a mere formality without having many feelings. However, as I studied Nehemiah's prayer, I thought, ah, this is truly a prayer after God's own heart. As I was studying Nehemiah's prayer, another prayer came to my attention. It's the method of prayer that many Christians undertake. What kind of prayer is it? Do you remember? When Nehemiah heard that the Israelites were in great trouble and disgrace, and the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, and the city gate was burned, he showed a particular reaction. He fasted and prayed in sadness before God of heaven for many days. Recently, we also shared about how Jehoshaphat also prayed while fasting. These days, Christians often fast while praying. What do you know about a fasting? In other words, do you know when and with what purpose fasting and praying is done? Many people that I know think of fasting in this way. When there is a desperate prayer topic, it is a special prayer we give to have the prayer answered. What do you think? Is it the same purpose you have for fasting and prayer? Truthfully, that is how I was thinking as well. When I first heard someone explain a fasting, this is what was said. A parent is most heartbroken when a child doesn't eat. Therefore, if we fast and pray to God, then God will be heartbroken and quickly answer our prayers. At that time, the person's explanation made sense. Yes, if we fast and ask God, then God will have to answer quickly. However, after studying the Bible and knowing God's character and knowing our sinful human nature, I began to think that such an explanation was unbiblical. Fasting should not be us as children not eating and begging to earn what we want by breaking God's heart. Just because we fast and beg doesn't mean God will change His mind and give us what He does not desire for us. Furthermore, it is not right to go through such an extent to earn what is outside God's will for us. 
What is the purpose of a fasting? When did the people in the Bible fast and pray? The word fast first appears in the Bible in Judges chapter 20, verse 26. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. The Israelites began to fight their brotherly tribe of Benjamin to annihilate them, but they were greatly defeated two times and there were 40,000 casualties. Therefore, they were going up to Bethel to seek God's will. In this way, all the people went up to Bethel and sat weeping before God. They fasted and presented burnt offerings and inquired of God. This is the first part of verse 28. Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? They didn't ask God to do what they wanted. Instead, they stopped what they were doing and asked God whether they should do it or not. This is very different from our purpose of fasting, right? The word fast appears again in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Do you remember how the Ark of the Lord was taken by the Philistines during the time of Eli the priest? Ever since the Ark of the Covenant was taken, the Israelites were mourning and seeking God. A long time passed and finally the Ark of the Covenant returned to Israel. At this time, Samuel the prophet commanded to all the tribes of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. Then, the Israelites rid themselves of the foreign gods and only served the true God just as Samuel said. Then Samuel gathered them at Mizpah and prayed to God for them. Here is verse 6. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel at Mizpah. Before the returned Ark of the Covenant, they confessed their sin, repented, and fasted. They were asking God for forgiveness and had a new resolution. We recently shared about Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When the united army of Moab and Ammon came to attack him, Jehoshaphat was surrounded by fear. He proclaimed the fast to all the people and turned his face towards God and prayed. When Jehoshaphat was facing a battle with the enemy troops, he fasted and asked God to punish his enemy. He confessed that he couldn't do anything with his own strength. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now let's look at Ezra chapter 8. After ending the life of captivity in Babylon, the people returned to the Jewish nation following Ezra's lead. In Ezra chapter 8 verse 21, Ezra describes what happened. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed the fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. The road back home from Babylon was not an easy road. There were enemy troops who tried to harm the Jewish people on that road. 
There were also many bands of thieves who tried to attack them since they were carrying much gold and silver. They received God's sending and returned on the road to the Jewish nation. But Ezra did not pridefully walk that road. The people humbled themselves by lowering themselves before God and fasted and prayed that God would protect them on the road which God had sent them. God answered their prayer and allowed them to arrive safely in Jerusalem. In the book of Judges, the people acknowledged their wrongdoing and prayed while fasting to seek God's will. In 1 Samuel, the people regretted all their wrongdoing and rid themselves of false God and made a resolution to only serve the one true God while fasting. Jehoshaphat confessed that he couldn't do anything on his own strength. Before the enemy's attack, Jehoshaphat fasted and prayed. Ezra humbled himself and prayed while fasting, asking God to protect the people on the road. This is very different from what we shared earlier about fasting and praying while starving ourselves to forcefully get something we want from God. I hope this was an opportunity for us to reflect upon our own prayer life. We will continue sharing about the topic of fasting for one more week. Be blessed in the Lord during the week. I'll see you next time from Prayers After God's Own Heart. Goodbye! Oh
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.